Lord, we're so thankful that you have drawn us together. And we are together because we're together in you. Lord, we thank you for the fellowship that we have with one another. And Lord, we thank you so much for our salvation. Father, we pray that you would come and fill us with your spirit this morning, that you would be our teacher. We know, Lord, that we can do nothing without you, but we can do all things through you. So we pray that you give understanding, enlightenment to our eyes as we study through this wonderful book that is such a challenge to us. So, Father, be our teacher this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So James chapter 2, let's look at that together, and let's start with verse 1. We're going to read through portions, and then we'll come back and talk about it. My sisters, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a woman with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor woman in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to her, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor woman, you stand there, or sit here at my footstool, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor woman. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? Certainly we live in a world today that's doing that to us, don't they? In verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. And that's the key to all of this portion of the book of James. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you don't commit adultery, but you murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, the book of James is a very practical book. And it shows us the signs of the one who's truly experiencing and exhibiting believing faith. Now, I like the book of James. It's a very difficult book because it comes down hard on us in certain areas of our lives, doesn't it? It really exhorts us and makes us pay attention to what James would have us to do and to be and how our walk is to be exhibited to the world. We're told that true faith is revealed in how we walk as well as how we talk and what we believe. It's one thing to talk about being a Christian. It's one thing to talk about his word. And it's one thing to believe these things. But it's another to make sure that our walk lines up with how we're talking and believing and thinking. So the dominant theme throughout is true faith is a faith that works. In other words, it's a do this and do that book. A man named C.J. Goodspeed said, The book of James is just a handful of pearls dropped 
by one by one into the hearer's ears, having many divisions. And chapter 1 gives us just a few of these pearls. Chapter 1, as we kind of go back and review that, it reminds us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Isn't it interesting? I wrote this quote down before uh, Barbara Bush died, and her, her signature code was a strand of pearls. And everywhere and every picture that you see her, you see her wearing these beautiful pearls. You know, pearls kind of reflect off of our complexion and they softened us. And they're beautiful to wear. Every woman can wear pearls, but it's a sign of our beauty. So these pearls are given to us from God's word so that it reminds us to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. It also reminds us in chapter 1 that we're to be joyful and continue loving God even when going through trials. How many of you are going through trials? Okay. If we were honest, we'd probably say we either have come through a trial, we're in a trial, or I'm sorry, but we're going to go through a trial because trials have that purpose in our lives, don't they? As we studied chapter 1 last week. So we're to be joyful as we go through a trial. You know, it's easy for me sometimes to endure the trial. But just to be joyful is a different matter. Joyful in the trial, not necessarily out of the trial. And lastly, this chapter 1 reminds us to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. We live in a world that's constantly pulling on us and dragging us down into its standard. But oh, what a joy it is when we are keeping ourselves unspotted from the world. You know, um, we are clothed with Jesus Christ. He's given us a, a beautiful robe of righteousness, and we're to keep it unspotted. Years ago, I was invited to a friend's wedding, and she had this beautiful white wedding dress, and I was not part of it, but my husband was participating in the ceremony. And as I walked in the doors of the vestibule, the door to the bride's room opened up, and the bride motioned me to come in where she was getting ready with her bridesmaids. And she had a bottle of nail polish that she had pulled out because she was just doing some touch-up on her nails. And as we stood there talking, she lost her grip on the brush, and it went all the way down her beautiful white garment. One by one by one, spots of her nail polish were down there. Of course, everybody panicked. And then we stopped for a moment and prayed, and we decided to get some straight pins. And we made an inverted pleat all the way down her beautiful dress. Now she walked down that aisle. No one knew that there were spots there. That dress will always have those spots. And how easy it is for us to walk in this world and have the spots of filth and all of this garbage splash up against us. And that's why we need to completely, constantly be coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, cleanse me. Forgive me of this. Fill me back up with your Holy Spirit. So we're to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Now in chapter 2, it begins to exhort us to treat all men and all women as equals and to avoid 
partiality. And I have to tell you, honestly, I felt very, very convicted in this chapter because I know I'm guilty sometimes of these particular sins. And being a respecter of persons is a sign of a carnal spirit rather than true spirituality. Christ has set the example for us. We all know that scripture that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, not just sinners, we were his enemies. There was nothing good in us. And there still is really nothing good in us apart from Jesus Christ. But while we despised him and rejected him and reviled him and blasphemed him, he died for us because of his great love. And we were all in that place. We were all sinners. We all need a savior. So he treats us as equals, sinners who need a savior. Isn't it interesting that on the day of Pentecost, 120 are gathered up there in the upper room, and even Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there, and she needed a savior as well. So we're all equal, aren't we, when we come to the foot of the cross? James teaches us this principle by then giving an example. He begins to contrast the life of a rich man and the life of a poor man within the church. One is rich, and it's described. he's described as wearing fine clothes and all decked out with gold rings, flaunting his wealth and his status. It would be as though some woman would come into our fellowship this morning, and she'd be decked in her furs and her jewels, and she'd have the best things of everything, and Suzanne would meet her at the door and say, oh, look at this woman. Now, why don't you come down and sit in the front row? In fact, she asked me this morning, where would you like to sit? And after looking at this chapter, I thought, I'm not sure I want to sit on the front row this morning. (laughs) And then the poor man or poor woman comes in, and maybe she looks like a bag lady. Maybe she smells like a bag lady. And we say to her, oh, you know what? You sit in the back row and maybe don't even sit on the chairs because if you sit there, you're going to get everything dirty. So you just even sit on the floor. Now, scholars have pointed out that in Rome, there were shops where clothing and rings were actually rented out so that men could have the appearance of wealth and high position. In fact, they had rings that they would rent so that they could have every single finger covered with a ring. Not only one ring but on each finger, but many rings on each finger. And we saw that trend come and go, didn't we? Now the Roman philosopher Seneca wrote, we adorn our fingers with rings. A gem is fitted to each joint of our fingers. The poor man is described as wearing filthy garments probably coming in from his occupation, perhaps as a shepherd or a blacksmith. In other words, he would be coated with filth and maybe his garments wouldn't be washed and he'd be smelly and coming from work and and we tell them to sit in the back or sit on the floor. Most believe that this was actually happening in the church at that time and even though hypothetical, it still occurs in churches today. 
And we have to be aware of this because James' book is a very practical book, as I said earlier, but we need to be careful and guard our hearts that we don't do this very same thing. In 18th century, John Wesley had a passionate desire to reach those who were of the poor and working class. So he began to preach the gospel to them, but he was actually forced to go out into the fields to preach. And at dawn, he would preach to 30,000 coal miners because they weren't welcome in any of the churches in England at that time because they were covered with their coal dust. Just think about that for a minute. What it would be like to have a church with 30,000 people in it. Now, these were just the miners. What about the wives? What about the children? These churches missed it. And how easy it is to judge men according to their parents rather than their heart. I love when we first came to Calvary Chapel years and years ago during the hippie movement back in the 60s and 70s. We saw all of these young people coming to the church. They had long hair. They were tatted everywhere. They were scruffy-looking, barefoot. The girls came in wearing no bras, and everybody had love beads, and they looked like they hadn't been bathed in weeks, and some of them actually smelled that way. And I remember going into the little chapel where they were first meeting, and my husband and I came from a very conservative denominational background, and My husband said, we're going to sit on the back row, so in case it gets crazy in here, we can get up and leave. And then he looked around, and he saw all these hippies hugging each other. And he looked at me, and he said, if one of them comes over and tries to hug me, I'm going to deck him right here. (laughs) So we then, as we sat through this service, and watched them afterwards, they were loving on each other. They were reading their Bibles. They were sharing with each other. And at that time, the congregation was so small that Pastor Chuck would stand up and before the worship service, he would say, would anyone like to share their testimony this morning or this evening? And one by one, they would pop up and they would say, I just got saved last week and my life is turned upside down and God has done so much in my life and I led my mom and dad to the Lord. And someone else over here would share, you know, I'm part of the house ministry and God did this miracle and he, and he healed this person while we were praying and it's, uh, they stood up and they walked or they, they had this illness taken away from them and one by one they began to share what God was doing in their lives we were looking at them and judging by their appearance there's an old saying you can't judge a book by its cover and so many times we do that but Pastor Chuck wouldn't do that today we have people coming into our congregation you know they've got nose rings they've got rings in their eyebrows they've got um Tattoos all over their body and, you know, it's easy to sit there and think if they really knew the the Lord, they wouldn't be doing all of that. They wouldn't be wearing that. You know, that's that's not what a Christian is supposed to be doing. And it's easy to do, isn't it, to sit and look at one another and judge them by their appearance or their status. How easy it is. One of the most believable attributes 
of a woman of faith is her love for others. No matter what, we're to love one another. The alcoholic who comes in and he's reeking of alcohol, we're to love that person as well. Or the drug addict who comes. If we're truly loving God, there'll be no room in our hearts or our actions for partiality. You know, I don't have quite as much problem judging the poor as much as I do sometimes judging the rich. It's easy just to be partial towards one group as it is towards the other. And sometimes I look at the rich or those who have more money than I do, and I'm judging their lives as well. So we have to be careful. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. God sees us as equals. And Paul reminded us in Philippians chapter 2 that we're to have the mind of Christ towards others, esteeming others better than ourselves. That should be the rule in all of our lives. And how did Christ do this? He laid down his life for us again while we were yet sinners. He humbled himself. He had a humble birth. He was raised in humble circumstances. He lived humbly with his disciples. But he looked at us and loved us. He does not look at us and judge us in those ways. It's pride that causes us to be partial and a respecter of persons. Pride is the root of partiality and it can cause us to judge them. Luke chapter 3 or 6 verse 37 says, Judge not and you will not be judged. You know, when I look at others and I'm partial to certain people because of things, usually it's because I think to myself, and this is a a word from the enemy that comes into my mind thinking, oh, if I'm partial to them, what can they do for me? And we have to be very, very careful. And that's why in the church in this day and time, and in some churches even today, we look at the person that's famous or has money or any of those things, and we think, what can they do for our church? You know, if that person just got saved, they would be wonderful in the church. Just think of their influence that they could give out. And maybe my church would grow or whatever. So we have to be careful of those kind of attitudes. Peter's a good example or maybe a bad example of a man who was judging. You remember the story. He had a vision. And he saw a sheet let down with all of these things in it. All this food or animals that were unclean to him as a Jew. And he said, I, and God spoke to him and said, take and eat, Peter. And Peter said, no, Lord, I, I won't touch those. And God showed him that vision because he wanted him to go over to the house of Cornelius. And the Jews really didn't have anything to do with the Gentiles. And God was showing him that there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile because Christ tore down the barrier by his own body and his own blood. There is now to be no separation between Jew or Gentile, between rich or poor, between male or female. Now we do have certain roles as male and female, but God looks at us as equal. There's to be no separation now between circumcised or uncircumcised, between white people or black people or any other color. And here's the tough one. 
No distinction between a Democrat and a Republican. You mean I've got to love them too? No distinction or separation between a liberal or a conservative. God sees us as equal. We're all sinners in need of a savior. The respecting of persons is a sign of carnality, and it's evidence of one who is weak in the faith, one who's immature in their faith, and one who has an unmerciful heart. The key to overcoming all of this judgmental attitude is found in verse 8 and 13, where to fulfill the royal law of love and to always let mercy rule. The royal law of love. Love covers. Love covers a multitude of sin. Love doesn't respect necessarily how a person looks or they're perceived. Love looks with the eyes of Christ. How does God love us? He loves us unconditionally. Again, while we're still sinners, he died for us. Remembering who we are, who we are really like, that we're sinners who are saved by grace, keeps us in a state of humility, as well as remembering that we're going to be judged with the same measure that we judge others. That's pretty frightening, isn't it? What's that old saying? If you point your finger, you've got what? Three pointing back at yourself. And it's easy to see the speck in someone else's eye, but it's difficult to see the plank in my own eye. And ladies, I got a lot of planks in my eye. So we need to constantly, constantly be aware and heed this warning. Don't be judging other people because God is the judge and he alone will take care of those things. Now then, in verses 14 to 26, James begins to tell us that faith without works is dead. He's not saying, however, that the works of the law will save anyone. However, he is saying that truth, faith, is evidenced by our works. Now, this is very difficult, isn't it, to grasp onto this concept Remember, it's a very practical book about working out our faith in God. It's not an exchange of faith for works or the exchange of works for faith, but they're to go hand in hand. In other words, if I'm really loving God, then I'm going to want to serve him. So if I'm loving God because I have faith in him and I've come to him and by my faith and salvation, I'm going to let that be worked out in my life so that it will be visible and, and shine. My light will shine for the world to see. So they will be able to see Christ in me. James gives us another example here. He's prone to give us wonderful examples. He uses Abraham and Rahab. And having acted by faith, they acted on it by their complete obedience to God's commands. So if we truly have faith, we're going to listen to what he says, and then we're going to act on what he says. We're going to do, not just hear, as we're told in chapter 1. Real faith obeys the leading of God, and it's indicated by not only avoiding the no-nos, don't do this, don't do that of life, but it's evidenced by how we treat other people. Remember what the royal law of love is? Love others as you would have them to love you. 
Now, when we do this, when we're loving others, they may not respond to our love, but we're to keep on loving them anyway, aren't we? And leaving them to the Lord. There may seem to be a contradiction between the teachings of Paul, who tells us that our salvation is by faith alone, but James tells us that faith without works is dead. Now, did any of you have a problem with this? Contrasting the two and coming to grips with what it really means? Paul's telling us this, and and James is telling us this. What does this mean? Now, Paul's teaching focuses on the time before our conversion, and James focuses on the after of conversion. Isn't that an easy way to look at it? Paul says you come by faith alone in Jesus Christ and receive him as Savior. And James says, now that you've been converted, now that you know Christ as Savior, let it be worked out and it will be evidence to those around you as your light shines in the world. The author, Kent Hughes, points out that James' point is there is belief, which is not true faith, and it gives the example of demons who believe but don't have true saving faith. He also points out that there's not a demon in the universe that's an atheist. But even though they believe Christ is the son of the living God, their belief is not saving faith. But John, verse 6, 29, tells us the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So that's the first work that we believe and give our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. Believe means putting our trust in, our confidence in him. People can believe that Christ is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, but not fully trust him and put their life in his hands. The unregenerate heart put works first. My good works, my keeping the law, my baptism, my church membership will win my salvation. If I work hard and do all of these things, then God will say, come in to the kingdom. Oh, how many people die with that attitude and go straight to hell? Because they've never come to grips with the fact that I just simply receive the gift that he's given to me. It's a free gift. It cost him everything, but it cost me nothing except to surrender and say yes to Jesus Christ. I give my life to you. Yes, I believe and I put my faith and trust in you and I will have you as my Lord, my Savior, my Master, the leader of my life. Jesus says the first works is to believe, to put our trust in him. And after this, true faith then begins to work. True faith begins to work. Lord, I trust you with my life. So now as you lead me, show me where you want me to serve. Show me what you want me to be involved in. And for some of us, that's simply to be a prayer warrior. For some of us, it's simply to be the best mother that we can be as God leads us the best wife, grandmother, great-grandmother, best caretaker of these two little rescue dogs. So wherever God leads you, it's by faith we serve him and we show our faith by doing the things that he tells us. True religion, the scripture says, cares for the widow, the orphan, 
the helpless, the hurting. And I know that your church has probably many outreaches to help those people. And when we are in our small groups, there may be a woman in your small group today that is helpless, that is hurting, that is needy. You can encourage her. Show your faith in Jesus Christ by loving her, by putting your arm around her, by stopping to pray for her, by asking her how she's doing, and then stopping to really listen to see how she's feeling, what she's going through. I came to Bible study yesterday in our church, and I got there a little early, and there was a woman there, and she came in, and so it was just two of us in the auditorium. And I said, how are you doing today, and how's this situation going? And she just kind of opened her mouth, and it all came out, and thought, okay, Lord. <laughs> and, and I was able to encourage her. At least, if nothing else, I can make sure that I'm praying for those specific issues. We need to be loving, fulfilling the royal law of love, not judging a person, because it's easy to say, well, if they weren't doing this or they had done that, they would not be in the position that they're at. This one who's begging on the street corner or who's homeless, you know, if they would just be working hard or doing all of these things, they wouldn't be in that position. It's so easy to judge them by this. We do not know their background. We do not know the circumstances, but we can love them. And sometimes loving them is not to take care of everything for them. Sometimes loving them is to urge them to to do what's necessary to take care of themselves. Sometimes that's the most loving thing, but sometimes it might be to give them some money or to give them a meal ticket so they can go down to McDonald's and get a Big Mac. I don't know. Whatever God puts it on your heart to do. I love that some are putting together what they call a blessing bag. They put necessities like a toothbrush and toothbrush toothpaste and some soap and maybe a wash rag or something like that and they put it in a bag and if somebody asks them a beggar on the street then they can give that bag to them it becomes a blessing it's a way of loving and reaching out to those that are hurting and needy so we need to keep this in mind that we're not to judge them we're to love them so beware of that and may I say one comment here And it's not really in our lesson, but I want to say this. Don't judge yourself either. Because you're either going to come out looking better or you're going to come out on the other end looking worse than someone else. And the enemy loves to make us focus on self. You are not the judge even of your own heart because you don't know your own heart. Only the Lord knows your own heart. And that's for someone in this room because it's not in my notes. But I just felt like the Lord wanted to say that today. Maybe you've been judging yourself harshly. But God says, I love you. And you're just as good as the person who's sitting next to you because you're covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, we fall so far short of doing and being what you want. But Lord, let us heed this lesson and put feet to our faith. 
and let our light shine so that the world can see that, yes, I believe. Yes, I bear the name of Jesus. Lord, let us be a light to the world. Let us be salt to the world. Let us reach out to those who are less fortunate around us. But don't let us be a respecter of persons. We want to serve you fully. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.